morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Mark 14, verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover and the festival on leavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Thank you, Stephanie. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this wonderful woman who whose expression of worship was uh, full of heart, full of emotion, full of cost. And Father God, help us to learn from her this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you saw, I'm sure many of you did last December, uh, there was a massive fish tank that exploded. Anyone see that? It was in Berlin in Germany. Max is nodding his head, being German. Uh, but it was 25 metres tall. Uh, it, was, it had over a million litres of water. Uh, and it had about 1,400 tropical fish in it. And they reckon uh, temperatures got down really low the night before to minus 10 degrees. And there must have been a small crack forming this uh, fish tank. That's their theory. And it erupted. Uh, the next day. Uh, When a fish tank with 1,400 litres of water bursts, it has an impact on everything around it. So regardless of whether you want that interruption to your day, you need to respond to the fact that a fish tank with a million litres of water has just exploded and it will spill over you, if not sweep you away. Does your worship of God have an impact on the world around you like that bursting fish tank? See, as you move through life, does your faith in Jesus and your love for him burst into the world? Or does your worship feel more like a leaking tap that is slowly dripping into the tank and never has any opportunity of filling the tank, let alone bursting open? In our passage this morning, we are confronted with two very different types of worship. One is like an exploding fish tank overflowing into the world around her, 
and the other is like a dripping tap that doesn't have any hope of filling the tank, let alone overflowing. And this is the question we're going to grapple with today. What is true worship of God? What is true worship of God? And as we consider that question, we're going to divide this passage into three Ps. The plot, the perfume, and the promise. The plot, the perfume, and the promise. And the passage begins by once again highlighting the plot of the religious leaders to kill Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. I don't have anything behind me or listen intently. But the first two verses of the passage says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So over the previous few chapters, we've seen the plot to kill Jesus uh, becoming more intense Uh, And it's been filled with tests more about his teaching to try to trap him in his words. But they've failed. And Jesus has demonstrated that his wisdom is of God and his focus is on destroying these religious strongholds that had been created in the temple and in Israel and which has effectively oppressed the people. And now we can say the plot thickens. There is an urgency that has crept into this narrative. Mark, in verse 1, tells us the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread was just two days away. See, the festival of unleavened bread was for seven days, and as we read earlier in verse 12, uh, it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb on the first day of the festival. So in two days, the Passover was going to be celebrated, was going to be uh, eaten. And there's an urgency because they don't want the crowds to riot if they arrest Jesus during the festival. See, during the festival, the crowds would have multiplied over five times the normal population. People were coming in. Pilgrims were coming in from all uh, all over the world as they knew it. If you've ever been to the Easter show, and and no doubt some of you will in a few weeks' time, uh, if it's a nice sunny day on Good Friday, uh, don't go, because that is the biggest nightmare. There are people everywhere. Well, maybe it's a bit like that, particularly around uh, the temple precinct. Around the temple precinct, uh, you've got people everywhere. And one of the things that happened is the Roman governor would go and live uh, normally he's down by the seaside, but he would come into Jerusalem uh, and, and live there to be able to keep on top of the crowds because if there was any sign of riot, which happened regularly, uh, they would basically close down the festival. They would disperse people, they would arrest people, it would cause problems. And when you've got different nations and people from different areas all coming into the same space, uh, it's like a footy game between the Panthers and the Broncos, Uh, you're always up for a riot. You see, that was the danger. And they would shut them down. So their urgency is because they don't want the the festival to be closed down. Because we've heard over and over, the people loved Jesus, but they wanted to arrest him. Well, Mark then moves us to a place called Bethany, which is a common place people who were pilgrims would stay outside of the city. 
And he introduces us to this unnamed woman and her jar of perfume. We've had the plot, now we've got the perfume. And verse 3 tells us, Jesus was reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper. A woman, when he, while he was, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure night. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Now, just so you know, Simon probably wasn't a leper, otherwise Jesus would have healed him. Uh, he, it was a nickname. They often had nicknames, so for some reason they've called him the leper. Uh, but he, we know from the book of Luke that he was likely a Pharisee. So it's interesting in itself. Jesus is actually reclining, having dinner with these religious elite at one of their, uh, one of their, uh, one of their homes. Now, I want us to grasp the contrast here. This would have been quite a dignified dinner party. There were protocols. People would have had their feet washed as they came in. They were probably, or we're told, they're reclining, possibly on the ground. They're reclining, a table in front, a short table with food. Uh, Dignified people probably had status, wealth, uh, Jan, can you pass the camembert and talk about important things of the world? You know, this kind of dinner party. And uh, they were talking about the religious intricacies of the law, maybe. They were talking about the upcoming fa- uh, Passover and how they were going to celebrate it. See, there was dignity. Things were done in an orderly fashion. And in comes this woman, unnamed, just this woman. She's weeping. She's overflowing and bursting with emotion. And this emotion is directed to one person. And she had no care in the world about how dignified she looked, about whether she was doing what was acceptable to those in that room. All she knew is that she needed to express her love and her gratitude in the only way she knew how. To take the most precious thing she owned and pour it over Jesus. Now, she wouldn't have been carrying this perfume around. There was intent here. We're told in the book of Luke that she heard that Jesus was here at Simon's place, and so she went there purposefully. She was moved in the depths of her very soul to give it all to the one who changed her life forever. See, this woman's worship was like that bursting fish tank. She was overwhelmed by God's love for her. Luke gives us a little more glimpse into who she was. It says that she, uh, she lived a sinful life. Perhaps she was a prostitute. Perhaps she was an adulteress. We don't really know, but she certainly didn't belong at this dinner party. Now look at the dripping tap response of the religious elite in contrast to this woman's explosion of worship. Verse 4 says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. See, in many respects, this is the big problem that's been happening right through Mark ever since Jesus started his ministry. 
You've got this religious elite who control everything, rebuking anyone who does anything outside of their legal parameters and outside of how they want things done. Because it's chaos at times, it's messy at times if you don't stick to the rules. Religious rules are the most easy way to run a religion. This is the way you worship, this is what you do, this is when you do it and this is how you do it. And if you fall outside of that, well, you're not welcome here. See, there's nothing wrong with giving money to the poor. That's a good thing. That can be a wonderful religious act of worship. And Jesus says you'll always have the poor with you. But the problem that's being highlighted here is the heart. See, these dripping tap religious leaders care more about the money than about the worship of God with that money. See, they didn't see the worship, they saw the waste. And what that means is they're not seeing God, they're seeing the money. They never recognised Jesus for who he was, and now all they see is the very God that they worship and how someone is treating that God. Money. And I tell you, that is the greatest danger in our church today. We live in a culture that worships money. See, trying to hold on to money and not spend money can be just as much of an idol as if all you do is try to grasp as much money as you can. The poor are in just as danger of worshipping money as the rich are. See, money is all pervasive. That's why it has such a big influence in Jesus' teaching and is in the struggle of our own spiritual life. See, this outpouring of worship, this pouring out of a year's, wor- a year's salary worth of perfume effectively over someone onto the ground was an outrage. That's not good stewardship with God's money, is it? See, everything about the church can look haphazard and cheap if we are too busy holding on to all the money. See, there's a danger here. Sometimes worship of God means you pour out our wealth in order to make the expression of our worship beautiful. So the world looks upon it and sees this beautiful outpouring of, uh, of money. It's interesting, when I went through Europe, I was much younger, and I still probably have this issue. When I go into these big cathedrals, and look, we can go to the Catholic church next door, and it's easy to judge. We look at these big cathedrals, and you look at these big monstrosities. You go into St. Mary's Cathedral in the city, or even St. Andrew's, or whatever it is, and I'm of the ilk to go, what a waste of money. Imagine all the things we could do for the gospel if all that money wasn't poured into these buildings. I think this passage is changing me a little bit because it's okay to express and create something beautiful to worship God with. That's okay. But if you start worshipping the building, well, that's a problem. 
If you start worshipping uh, the, the money, that's a problem. And in fact, that was the problem here. If you've been to Israel, and I mentioned it the other week, the stones are huge at the temple. I remember, the first, even though I knew that they'd be big, the first time I saw one, I just went, they are big stones. And that's what the disciples said to Jesus. He goes, look at these big stones. And he goes, well, you know, we'll break it down and I'll rebuild it in three days. He hasn't got a problem with the outpouring of worship. He's got a problem with worshipping the building and the money. You see, it's all about the heart and where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So the dripping tap worshippers are rebuking and it it says rebuking her harshly in verse 5. They are indignant, how undignified and ignorant she is of what true worship is. It's our religious acts, isn't it? It's always dignified, it's always conservative, it's always a controlled expression of what we believe in. So we've got to be really careful here. You know, there's this great saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. What verse of the Bible is that from? It's a verse of Adrian, might as well, because it's not there. So here they are rebuking this woman with all their religious self-righteousness. And Jesus says this in verse 6, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. This is the one reason I couldn't skip this passage. I was trying to work out how I was going to get to Easter on Easter in Mark. And I wanted to skip the passage and I went, I can't skip this passage. See, in Luke, we are also told, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Jesus is saying what she did is an expression of love. And at the core root reality of how we express worship and what true worship is, is the understanding of both who we are and what God has done. That we are sinners and we have great sin that needs forgiveness. And if you cannot comprehend your unworthiness and your complete depravity, then you will never understand the depth and the love of God. See, the deeper we go into ourselves, the darker it gets. And the bigger the despair. But the deeper we go into God's love, the brighter it gets. And the greater the hope that we have. And those of us who have lived lives which can't even be recognised as righteous in any way or religious in any way. Well, then we understand 
that we have no right to even be standing, preaching or doing anything in the name of the Lord, let alone come and pour perfume on him. Until we recognise that our sin has been forgiven because of God's great love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That the one who she's pouring this perfume over is about to, in two days, be arrested and sent to his death so that her faith can be sealed with the love of God. And how is she responding? She does just respond in the only way she knows with everything. She takes the most precious thing that she has because the most precious thing that God has has been broken for her. She breaks the most precious thing she has to pour over him because there's no other place where it is worth anything than to pour it out over the one that has loved her beyond anything. See, the heart of worship is an expression of love for the one who has forgiven your sin, who has taken you from death to life, who has truly cleansed you and made you worthy to fall at his feet, to weep with gratitude, to wipe his feet with your hair if you have it, to praise him with his name, to pour out everything for him. Now maybe you do not have an alabaster jar of a year's wage of perfume. But are you willing to give up what's most valuable to you for the kingdom of God? If God calls you to do that, will you give it up? See, we've heard in Mark already the cost of discipleship unless you're willing to lay down your life. See, what is most valuable to you? Are you willing to give that up for him? Because he has given up what's most valuable to him for you. And when you grasp this, and when your heart understands the fullness of what God's done for you, Well, worship becomes a fish tank exploding, not a dripping tap trying to fill its own tank. Well, of course, people aren't happy being rebuked about their religious credentials. Nobody likes hearing that perhaps their religious deeds and expressions are like a filthy rag, as God tells us in the Old Testament. Nobody likes being told, as we've been told by Jesus, uh, Previously, that they honour God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So from the plot to the perfume, we come to the promise. And we come to the great betrayal of the dripping religious elite who cannot stand the freedom that comes with a worship of forgiveness. And so Judas goes to the chief priests and betrays Jesus. I want you to notice in there that they didn't approach him. He went to them. And also notice he didn't ask for money. But they were so delighted to hear that he was willing to betray Jesus. They promised to give him money. And don't underestimate what's going on there. 
If you worship money, then what do they promise him? Money. Are you willing to sacrifice and give up and completely condemn the Son of Man and forget about his kingdom altogether because you are too busy worshipping money? The woman poured out her alabaster jar of perfume when that's probably all she had. Judas takes 30 pieces of silver to betray the Son of Man, which wouldn't have been all he had. And we're told that he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. You see, the devil has done the deal. And while they were looking for a way to kill him, they now have it through the depth of the sin of one of the twelve, one of those Jesus has brought into his confidence. The plot, the perfume, and the promise. What is true worship of God? Well, it's the overflow of a heart that is full of love and gratitude because of the many sins God has forgiven it. It is emotional, it is financial, and it expresses itself in many ways, in any way that it is driven to. And the key to understanding the depth of our own sinfulness so we can understand the depth of our forgiveness, the, we, we need to understand the depth of our own f- sinfulness so that we can understand the depth of our own forgiveness. That's the key to a heart of worship. And in doing that, we then return the love that God has for us to him through the pouring out, not just of our finances, not just of our lives, but of our very souls to him, regardless of what people think, regardless of the undignified fashion it might look, and regardless of where it might lead us, even to death itself. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have confronted us this morning with this heart of worship from this woman with an alabaster jar of perfume. Father, as we head towards Easter, I pray that you challenge us to have a wholehearted devotion to you, that we are willing to give up what is most precious if you ask that of us, or even if you don't ask that of us, Lord. If we are driven by great love and great, great desire to bless you, I pray, Lord, that whatever it is, that we make great sacrifice, be it with our time, with our finances, with everything that we have. Father God, bless us now as we go into this week. Help us to think and Reflect on how we can hand this life of ours over to yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.